This is episode number 184. I'm going to talk about how to have a number one book on Amazon and how to hack the New York Times bestseller list. That's coming up. This is the Red Podcast. How to take your idea and make a name for yourself within your industry and beyond. Spread your message. Attract a following. Rise above the noise. Here's your host, David Hooper. As an author myself, I know that it can be difficult to sell books. Therefore, when somebody that I'm aware of, a friend, colleague, co-worker, comes out with a book, I always buy it. And because of that, I have a lot of books. I've seen a lot of launches. Over the last couple of weeks, I've seen some big launches on Amazon, New York Times, USA Today. People are vying for those top spots on the bestseller list. I'm going to talk about that on this episode of Red Podcast. Red Podcast is the podcast for influencers. If you're a blogger, podcaster, speaker, marketer, a nonfiction author, or an entrepreneur, this is the podcast for you. I talk about book publishing, podcasting, speaking, and other marketing elements of your business that you must master to make a name for yourself. That's really the focus of this podcast, how to take your idea, make a name for yourself, and make money. If you've been online for a while and you receive email newsletters, you read blogs, you listen to podcasts, you've likely seen what it is that I'm going to talk about, where somebody will come out with a book, and the next thing you know, it's a New York Times bestseller, number one on Amazon, selling big numbers of books. On this episode, I'm talking about how people do it, why you'd want to do it, why you wouldn't want to do it, why it might be a bad idea if you're thinking about it, and also the downside and aftermath of doing it, what happens after you have a big launch. I'm going to get into all of that on this episode. First of all, I want to define number one. And when I say a number one book on Amazon, I'm talking about all of Amazon, not on the subcharts. If you go deep down the subcharts, anybody can have number one. For example, I'm in Nashville. There are number one books in Nashville. To me, that doesn't count. Anybody can be number one at something. And the further you go down the list, so let's say you've got books, then you've got paperback books, then you've got nonfiction books, then you have business books, then you have career books, then you have a specific type of career. You keep going down that list. Eventually, you're going to be number one at something. So a lot of times you'll see people, they say, oh, I had a number one book on Amazon. Well, no, they didn't. They had a number one book on a specific category on Amazon. Doesn't count. Number one of all of Amazon competing against every other book that Amazon sells. That's all I consider to be number one. If you're curious to know how many books you have to sell to be number one on Amazon, it's not as many as you think. And this has been a few years since I've done this. Personally, I've hit number 13 of all of Amazon with one of my books. And that was about 250, 300 books in one hour. They do their charts every hour. And if you can send all your people to Amazon at a specific time, and they all buy within a certain hour, it's pretty easy for you to get a high ranking. If you go for this type of promotion where you're sending all of your traffic to a certain place, where you're having all of those people buy during a limited period of time is that if you have a brand new book and if Amazon or another retailer thinks that that trajectory is going to continue, they're going to start ordering more of those books to fulfill that demand. So let's say that you do like I did. You send 250 people, 500 people, 1,000 people, whatever your number is, to Amazon in a short period of time. Amazon thinks that's going to continue. They're going to start ordering those books, either from you 
from your publisher, wherever you're getting your books made. They're going to ship them to their warehouse, and then when sales slow down, and unless you've got a real bestseller, not just something that you're trying to game the system with, they're going to slow down rather quickly. So Amazon has all these books in its warehouse taking up space. They're not selling. Well, what happens to those? They're called returns. They return them to the publisher. They return them to you. They're either shredded. They're recycled. You can buy them back, sell them at another outlet. Maybe sell them from the stage if you're speaking. But that's one of the many problems. I'm going to get into more of those as we go on. Here's basically how the promotion works. I've kind of alluded to this. It works more or less like a magnifying glass. If you think when you were a kid you had a magnifying glass, you would take sunlight, hold a magnifying glass up, and it would focus that sunlight to where you could burn things, set ants on fire, set the caps from cap guns on fire where they would blow up, maybe use the light to actually burn something in wood. It's that same type of thing. You have something that's broad, such as your audience base, and you're focusing that audience base to either send them to a specific store, I'm using Amazon in this case because it's online and that happens a lot, or you want them to buy books during a certain time period. And if that's the case, you're trying to hit the New York Times, sometimes people will spread those orders out. They're trying to go for Barnes & Noble. They're trying to get you in your local bookstore. They're trying to get you to Amazon to make it look like this is a bigger promotion than it actually is. Sending all your people to one specific outlet to buy your book, it's a solid concept overall. And that's a solid concept with any type of business. For example, if you've got a podcast, send everybody to iTunes. Let's look at the numbers. If you've only got 100 people that you know will subscribe to your podcast, if you send all of those people to iTunes, those 100 people will have a more dramatic effect on the iTunes charts than if you were to spread those people out over different podcast outlets. For example, 25 people here, 30 people here, 20 people here, 50 people here. If you can focus them all in one place, especially during the short period of time, they're going to have a dramatic effect when it comes to your ranking, whether it be billboard, if you're in the music business, whether it be a box office chart, if you're in theater, or whether it be a sales chart such as Amazon or Barnes & Noble. If you can send all those people over at a specific time, it has a very dramatic effect. As I mentioned Amazon, they recalibrate their chart every hour. But think about this from a brick and mortar standpoint. If you had 100 people show up at a store, let's say it's 10 a.m., and want to purchase your book, that's going to leave an impression on clerks, on people in the store that are watching this book being purchased. That's how this promotion works. If people have a big enough audience where they can do that in multiple stores, 100 people in every store, let's say, that can make a really big impression, and that's how you hit the New York Times. So let's talk about why would you do it. First of all, New York Times, it's bragging rights. You can say that you did it. I've got a friend of mine. He's doing pretty well in the speaking business, about $10,000 per speech. I asked him how he got to that level. He said, well, the New York Times helped a lot. This is a guy who's hit the New York Times a couple of times. It's helped him to increase his credibility. Of course, it helps that he knows how to speak. It helps that he's good. It helps that he's likable, has a huge social media following. But people booking speaking events don't necessarily know that. They can look at his video and see that he's good. But when they also see that he's a New York Times bestselling author, that's like icing on the cake. And that helps to justify that price. $10,000, he does it day in, day out. No problem getting that kind of money. And that's because of those three things. He's good at what he does. He's got a reputation and he's got a big following. And that's social proof. That New York Times is social proof. The social media following, 
That's social proof. It says that if you book this guy, you're not going to look like an idiot. Everybody else has already voted with their wallets, with their social media, and says that he's popular. You're going to look good when you book him. Go ahead and do it. That's how the New York Times is going to help you. So that's why to do it. Let's talk about when to do it. The best time to send everybody to Amazon, one specific outlet or multiple outlets, you're trying to go for the New York Times, are slow weeks. For example, if you're in the movie industry, Christmas Day, the biggest day for movies. Fourth of July, one of the biggest days for movies. People like to go see movies. If you're releasing a movie, you have any time during the year to do it and you want to hit number one, don't do it on Christmas Day. You're competing against the biggest studios with the biggest marketing budgets. The book business is no different. This is a concept that works with press releases. Let's say you've got a terrorist attack. O.J. Simpson kills somebody and starts taking off in a Bronco. You're not going to compete with that kind of thing. You want the slow news days. You want the slow weeks for new products when there's not a lot of competition. If you're thinking about Amazon, you also want the slow times. If there's an opportunity for you to get a lot of people over to Amazon, the best time, if you want to hit number one, it's going to be the middle of the night when you don't have a lot of competition. People are buying things on Amazon during the day when they're at work. Surfing Amazon, not working, buying stuff. Don't compete against those guys. That crowd needs to be sleeping. Your crowd needs to come in in the middle of the night when nobody's there to compete with them. Here's another trick for you, speaking of timing. November, if you can get your book up to the top of the charts, and this is for music, this is for movies, this is for all types of entertainment. Charts freeze during the holidays. There's not a lot of competition. People are busy. The industry is taking time off. If you can get to the top of the charts during November before Black Friday, there's a good chance that you're going to stick there. Charts freeze during the holidays. They don't come unstuck until the new year when things start picking up again once the holidays are over. Now, why wouldn't you want to do a promotion like this? Why wouldn't you want to drive your book to the top of the charts, either on Amazon or on the New York Times? Personally, I think it's a poor measure of success. The next time you see one of these promotions, I want you to mark it down. Watch the promotion that week, maybe 10 days, maybe two weeks. Six weeks later, two months later, go back, take a look at that book. It's dropped. You've got all these great reviews that are coming in, and they're done out of marketing. They're done because it's a target audience. You're reaching a lot of people that are already aware of you that are going to do what you ask, such as buy your book at a certain time or buy your book at a certain place. They're going to leave you those positive reviews. And the issue comes when people outside of your circle who haven't been exposed to you, they buy that book thinking that it's good. They're believing the hype. They get the book. They read it. Maybe they don't relate to you as well. Maybe the whole thing has been a marketing ploy. You didn't actually take as much time on the book as you took on your marketing. And those people that aren't familiar with you, they aren't part of your fan club, they're not the fanboys, fangirls that love anything that you do, they're going to come back in and it's not uncommon for there to be a lot of bad, mediocre reviews that come in just a few weeks after a big push when there's residual sales from the big push that you started, but not from those people who know who you are and are going to love anything that you do. See, my focus when I release a book, when I release a podcast, it's on impact. It's great to have a New York Times bestseller. 
it's great if you can get in the top 10 or even number one on Amazon. But when it comes to really having a career, you want impact. You can think about this with the music business. You've heard of One Hit Wonders, those guys who shoot to number one with a really great song, but nobody knows who they are. The song drops. And because they haven't taken the time to develop that fan base, or because they haven't taken the time to really craft other songs that they can take to the top of the charts, we forget about them. Book authors are no different. If you want long-term impact, you need to develop that audience, and you develop that audience by getting to know them and creating great products that they can connect with and be helped by. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago that you might get more speaking gigs out of this. You might get more money for those speaking gigs, and that might make you want to go out more. You'll have impact that way, but you're not necessarily going to have impact just because you were a number one book on Amazon or just because you hit the New York Times bestseller. Simply going to number one does not lead to impact. It's a tool that helps you with impact. But just because you're number one, you might be like that one-hit wonder. You had that moment in the spotlight, but you're going to disappear really quickly. If you look at the New York Times bestseller charts, you'll notice that a lot of the books that are released by, let's say, preachers, Joel Olstein, for example, you'll notice a dagger by those kind of like an asterisk. And the dagger simply means that people are buying in bulk. And that makes a lot of sense if you're Joel Olstein. You speak to a huge church. There's a congregation of 5,000, 10,000 people. And the church is buying those books, 5,000, 10,000 at a time, to give to the people in the congregation. That counts, but the dagger lets people know that these were not just individuals purchasing that book. It was one big order. And that's what you're going to see when you look at these gurus that do very well. This is something that you see a lot on the internet. You say, hey, I'm giving away my book for free. All you have to do is pay postage. And what they'll do is they'll have you pay $6.95, $7.95. They send you the book, and they're either doing that via a book order where they're mailing these books themselves. So they get 1,000 orders. They order 1,000 copies. They get them wholesale. They mail them to you. They maybe lose a little money or break even, but it's 1,000 sales that they can count for the New York Times. You get a copy of the book. The person selling the book gets to keep your contact information. So they're building a mailing list and they get a sale. Another variation of that, very similar, is that they'll sell you the book for the price of postage, $697, $797. Instead of them purchasing the books in bulk, what they'll do is they'll go to Amazon, purchase one at a time, and send you the book through Amazon. Now, this is completely legal. Is it ethical? Yeah, probably. I think where it gets into ethics is where people say, oh, we had a hard time supplying these books. Therefore, we're just going to send you one via Amazon where they're not letting you know what they're doing. Well, that's what they're doing. If you ever give somebody $6.95, $7.95 to cover postage and they're sending you a book via Amazon, what they're trying to do is game the system. Usually how this works, you go in there, you've got somebody who's got a bunch of different accounts, a bunch of different credit cards they can charge to. It appears to be coming from different people. They send it to you, fill the order, they keep the address. Amazon thinks it's an individual sale. New York Times thinks it's an individual sale. It's not a bad way to sell, but it makes the book look more popular than it actually is because you're not going to Amazon to buy it. You're just buying it because you're getting a deal. You think it's free. You're just paying for postage. I mentioned the dagger, and the New York Times does that not necessarily to let you know 
that they're bulk sales, but to keep their own credibility. Even the New York Times knows that this is rigged. They have a bias against authors that they don't know. They have a bias against authors that only publish in paperback. They've got a bias of authors that are only online. The New York Times knows that this is rigged. Sometimes, however, these authors, because they're also really great marketers, are selling so many that the New York Times cannot deny it. So if you've got these things in place, you've got a hardcover, you've got a major publisher behind you who's helping you with this, it's hard for the New York Times to deny a spot on that chart. Here's something else that you need to know. If you hit the New York Times list, you're going to have people coming out of the woodwork looking for the numbers that you've sold so they can copy them themselves. And what I mean by that is this, and I'm going to use an arbitrary number. Let's say 10,000 books would do it. You're not just selling 10,000 books. They need to be spread out over different stores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent stores, the people who actually report to the New York Times to let them know what's selling. They need to be in different parts of the country, north, south, east, west. It can't be just books selling in Florida, just regional success stories, Texas, California. It's got to be all over the country because this is a national chart. And if you ever hit the New York Times, you're going to have people asking for this information so they can copy it, so they can put in a bulk order from one of the reporting bookstores. We don't know which stores are reporting. Not all stores do. So let's say you sold those 10,000 books. New York Times is not just looking at sales. There may be an author who sold 7,000 books in a different way, in different stores, in different regions. He hits the New York Times. You don't. Because the New York Times thinks you're a new author, you're just in paperback, you're internet only. The New York Times knows that this is rigged. And because of this, they're doing everything they can to keep their charts legitimate so we still pay attention to them. Here's another reason why you wouldn't want to do a promotion like this. You can blow through your list. By the time you launch and actually have the book for sale, you've got to start this thing so early that people will be sick of hearing about it. This has gotten so ridiculous lately that I've actually seen podcast reviews that mention, hey, we're sick of hearing about your book. Move on. Move on. Get back to the content. Sick of hearing about your book because these guys will come out with a book, but three months before that, they're hyping it, trying to get you to do the pre-order, trying to get you to buy the book for the price of postage. Hype, 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 and not getting to the content that put them on the map in the first place. You can blow through a list, blow through an audience if you're not careful. My opinion, much better to release the book. Doesn't make as big a splash. Let your audience discover it and let it grow. Let them do the work for you. You don't have to work so hard. Not three months of these big promotions, not these huge packages, getting people to buy 100, 1,000, 10,000 books. You will burn through your audience when you do that. And I think it's fine for you to ask your audience, hey, If you've got a friend who might like this book, why don't you pick an extra copy up? Give it as a gift. But when you're asking your audience for 5, 10, 15, 25 sales, that's going to piss some people off. A lot of people are going to feel that you're trying to take advantage of them. If you want long-term success as a book publisher, as an author, you need to give your book time to take root with your audience. These promotions, they work very well as far as getting books up the charts, but they fade very quickly. They're a lot like sprinting versus a marathon runner. Now, I'm in pretty good shape, but I don't consider myself a runner. 
Every year, the Music City Marathon, it goes right down my street, right in front of my house. And I watch these guys run. And I can tell you that for a block or two, I could beat them. 26.2 miles, no way. That's how these promotions are. They're very good at the sprint. They're very good at those short races. But if you're looking for longevity, if you're looking for people to take you seriously, if you're looking for those long-term income streams, such as speaking, such as future books, you want something a little more slow and a lot more steady. Because of the internet, because people have such a voice today, and it can be expanded upon very quickly through social media. You know, it used to be that if you had a movie, you wanted a big opening week, big opening weekend. These days, these days, studios are concerned about the opening night, the very first screening of the movie. Because during the movie, after the movie, people are taken to social media. If it's a bad movie, if it's not getting good reviews from people, next day, sales drop. Same thing with books. If you don't have a good book, you better have a good sprint. If you don't have a good book, the more you sell, the quicker it's going to fail. Remember Howard Stern's Private Parts, the movie he did? If you want an example from another industry, this is a great one. Private Parts, hyped big time by Howard Stern. He was on broadcast radio at the time. Nationwide, everybody was curious about this movie. The movie opened up at number one. I saw it, didn't think it was that bad, but the same thing happened to that movie as I'm talking about here. Big audience, big splash, but everybody went to see it the first week. Nobody was there after that. The thing dropped. Did it make money? Yes. Is it a cult classic? Yes. Went to video, went to cable TV, still making money. But it didn't have the long-term effect of the things that it was going against, such as Star Wars. With that said, I'm going to summarize this by telling you how to do it. If you want to do this, here's what you need to do. Remember, all of your traffic in one place, all of your traffic at a certain time, if you're able to do that. If you could put all of your traffic, let's say at 2 a.m., do it. But certainly at one place, and by certain time, it doesn't have to be necessarily a certain hour. Maybe it's a certain day. The only exception to this, New York Times. Amazon, obviously, all the traffic's going to Amazon. Barnes & Noble, all the traffic's going to Barnes & Noble. But if you're going for New York Times, some of these other charts that want to see a variety of different outlets, you need to spread those sales out to those outlets. How do you do it? Pre-orders. Talked about that. You can charge for shipping. You can either buy the books in bulk yourself or go to Amazon individually. Send those orders out using pre-orders. A lot of people are using bonuses. You buy a certain number of copies, 25 copies, 50 copies, 100 copies. I've seen people sell five or 10,000 copies at once. If you've got a big company, a great bonus for that would be to have one of these authors come speak at your event. That works if you're like at a Tim Ferriss level. Watch Tim Ferriss and his next big book promotion. If you buy 5,000, 10,000 books from him, he will come speak at your event. That could make the event for you. You could actually make that money back, give the books to the people who come to see you. That's one of the ways that Tim Ferriss can get to number one so quickly. Plus, he's done all the things that I'm saying to do right. He's developed a long-term audience. He had that slow burn, four-hour work week. Didn't have the audience back then. He's built it over a long period of time, at least 10 years now in the book game, and he's still going strong, doesn't really take a break. He's out there pounding away with new stuff, blog articles, podcasts, television shows. That's how an audience is done. So you've got pre-orders, you've got bonuses, you can combine the two. 
And because of social proof, what I talked about, how important that is when a brand new book comes out, you also want friends and other readers who are going to leave reviews. Once you get to the top, more and more people will discover you, but they want something to back that up, not just the number one on Amazon. They want to see that people have read this book and are actually enjoying it. If you want discovery from people, not just in your audience, you need to have those reviews. Now, you can make a lot of money when you're at the top of the charts on Amazon, but think about those numbers that I was talking about. About 250, 300 books in an hour, that's going to get you in the top 10, top 15, depending on when you do this. That's okay, but me personally, not only do I want the impact of what I call a slow burn, but I would rather have something in about maybe the 1500s, 2000 ranking that just stays there and does not move. That is how you make money. If you could get up to the top 5,000 of Amazon and stay there, that's a consistent seller. When people see it, people will see that it is selling. If you do what I'm saying about the reviews, if you do what I'm saying about having a good book, having that consistency is going to be a lot more than just selling 250, 300 copies, let's say 5,000 copies in a short period of time. I would rather have something consistent all day long than something that goes up, stays at the very top for maybe a day or two, and then drops. You want a book that people will love, not just buy because you're giving bonuses, not just buy because there's a lot of hype, but that people will love. That is how you get long-term clients. That's how you're going to get speaking engagements, people to listen to your podcast. And that's how you're going to have a relationship for future books. You want people to love what you're doing, not just tolerate it. I'm going to leave you the funny story. There was a guy who tried to do this, and he did do it successfully. He did it with music. This was an internet guru, loved karaoke, loved music, wanted to do an album. And he wanted to show that he could promote an album and have it go up to the top of the charts. In this case, it was Billboard. What I heard about this is so he could get into the music marketing business. Now, of course, I was in music marketing for 20 years. I can tell you that the outside is different from the inside. And what you think is going on might not be what's happening. So here's what he did. Came out with a country album, put it together, 10 songs, gave bonuses very similar to what I'm talking about. If you bought two, you would get one level of bonus, bought five, 10, bought 100, I think he'd let you come to his house for some kind of workshop. And what ended up happening, he had a huge list, sold a ton of records, and he actually made the billboard charts. Very successful, right? Well, not a lot of people know this. I was in a music publishing office the next week. And it's funny because I see this guy's album on the person's desk whom I was there to visit. I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. You got this thing? He had no idea about the promotion. I got no idea who that guy is. A promoter brought it by, but it sounds like it's karaoke music. So the whole thing went in full circle. The guy really shouldn't have been there. He didn't develop the talent, didn't develop the fan base, took the thing up the charts using something that was completely unrelated, but obviously very possible to do, and the thing dropped. Couldn't get the respect that he wanted from Nashville. Game over went back to doing the guru thing, and he's very successful, and he's a very cool guy, but don't think that you can fool people on the inside. You might sell a lot of copies, but if you're trying to use this as a play for you to get a publishing deal, or you're trying to use this for a play to even get more credibility with your audience, they know how the game is played because this is an old game. It's been going on forever in all different entertainment industries, music, 
movies, books. You're not the first one to do this. It's not that impressive. If you've got questions, you've got comments, you've got stories of where you've seen this happen, I would love to hear them. The best way to reach me, at David Hooper on Twitter. If you want to send me a direct email, do it via the website, redpodcast.com. Next episode, if you're on any kind of business mailing list, you no doubt have gotten an offer for a seminar that is either free to attend or very cheap. 20 bucks to reserve a seat, get the money back when you go. I said yes to one of those seminars that came through town, went to go see it. I'm going to tell you exactly what I got, the good, the bad, the ugly, and explain the business model because it may be something that you want to use in your business. That's next on Red Podcast. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe. You can do that via iTunes, via redpodcast.com, anywhere podcasts are distributed. Questions or comments, always available via Twitter, at David Hooper. Thanks so much for being part of the Red Podcast community. I appreciate you, and I'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to Red Podcast, real entrepreneur development. Subscribe today using iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS at redpodcast.com. 